Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news and your views. Alan Corcoran. Three former rugby players, including two former internationals, have lodged high court proceedings against the IRFU for damages. The cases are part of a wider series of lawsuits alleging that rugby players were inadequately protected from the possibility of concussion, leading to long-term serious injury. This all raises a number of questions about concussion. It's a big topic of discussion at the moment, so we decided to link in now with expert Dr Mick Malloy, who is, of course, well-known in AE circles in Wexford General Hospital. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning, Alan. First of all, congratulations. This is a very interesting development. When did you take up this position? Well, actually, the, the position I take up in uh, late November. Uh, so I got elected in at the recent board meeting in um, September. So now we have a situation where you're taking up this new position, but there's a lot of concerns, I suppose, about concussion in all sports. There is uh, the current situation with the IRFU. But I'd like to talk to you a little bit about concussion. What exactly is it, Mick? So concussion is basically a minor traumatic brain injury. But when you put it in those words, it becomes very, very frightening. Many people have had concussion over the years and probably didn't even know they had it in sports. And it can happen from a sudden acceleration, deceleration. So when you are playing any particular sport, not even the ones where you traditionally associate with head contact, but any particular sport where you suddenly stop, um, it can cause your brain to effectively wobble inside your skull and it causes an impact on your skull and that itself is what the cause of concussion is. And what are the most common signs and symptoms and can you flesh that out a little bit more for me please? Well the, 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 the simpler ones would be headache, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of dizziness. The IRFU has a very good advice sheet on its website for parents and also for people who are involved in sports about what to look for and what to um, what to watch out for with a concussion. In the beginning, um, when you if the, the issue is recognizing that somebody has had a concussion and removing them from play, so recognizing and removing are the, the big issues now. And in younger people, so people under eighteen, there is a three week stand down, a three week and three days stand down procedure from any contact sports. So if you get a concussion, for example, in rugby or boxing or Gaelic, you're not just stood down from that sport, you're stood down from all activities. But from the parent's perspective, the first couple of days are the most important and trying to avoid the younger person being engaged in video games and uh, phones and televisions because the, the blue light that you get off all these devices tends to aggravate concussion symptoms more. People don't concentrate as well when they have a concussion. So even back to the very simple, practical things that you may have had a concussion at the weekend, on Monday morning, you'd be very careful about letting the kid onto a bike to go to school because they can confuse right and left. They may not make good decisions. They may not pull the brake sometimes. They may pull the wrong brake. Um, They may not signal as well as they should when they're going to turn right or left and all these little things have an impact on life other people if i see adults in the emergency department who've had a concussion i advise them that look again you're you're going to make simple mistakes because you don't realize that your brain is not working as well as it should and that can last for a couple of days and sometimes it can last for a couple of weeks for people a lot of talk and concussion in professional sports and yes it is an issue um yes people need to be taken care of but overall, the benefits of being involved in the sporting activity outweigh yeah. the um, negative effects of the concussion in the longer run for the population as a whole. 
Right, so you're standing on the side of a pitch. You're a mentor or a parent uh, of somebody playing on the team. All of a sudden, you suspect that your son or daughter or a member of the team that you're managing has symptoms of concussion. What do you do? Take them off, bring them onto the sideline. And some simple things in the beginning, it's about supporting the individual because if they're confused, they need to have time to, to recover. And it will come back over a short period. Um, take them on the sideline. Um, don't let them get back onto the field. Uh, make sure they're observed by somebody else. If they show any signs of significant concussion, so they start vomiting um, to become more confused, at that point, those people should be brought down to the hospital for evaluation or to one of their, their local medical practitioners if they're very remote from the hospital. But not everybody who gets a concussion needs to get a, a CAT scan. It's a very small number of people who need to do that. And there's a, a protocol in nearly all hospitals because the NICE head injury guidelines of where... <clears throat> what you look for, what steps you go through to decide whether you do need to get a CAT scan or not. Now, if we look at specific sports, like some of the team sports, like hurling, football, rugby and soccer, I'll start with soccer. There's much debate, make about the heading of the ball. Now, when I was playing, the balls were far harder when you headed them. Uh, but nowadays, I think they've done a lot of work in, in the preparation the footballs we use, uh, are, are used. What's your view on the whole heading issue in, in soccer? That is a really interesting topic, and I actually spoke with that with the, the medical director of the FAI a few days ago. And um, he, there's a, a very detailed study gone into this a couple of years ago, and no evidence that heading the ball at a younger age actually contributes to concussion. The 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 study in particular, I just the name of it won't come to my mind now, but the, the, the study in particular looked at retired professional footballers who would have played in the 50s and 60s who, interestingly, on average, lived longer than the general population, and but did develop dementia. But dementia is also a disease of aging, and when you're looking at a research study like that, you'd, look, you'd, you'd need to look at every factor involved, their whole lifestyle involved, to yeah. see can you control any other factors to see is there really a risk from the heading of the ball. And they couldn't actually demonstrate that the heading of the ball itself was dangerous. Now, as you said, in, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the balls are very different. They were a leather ball which absorbed a lot of water, so yeah. it would have been very heavy in those days compared to the balls nowadays. Yeah. I know in America they've taken the, um, the the view that they ban heading under 12, but to be honest, I think we then end up getting a catch-up phase that when kids get to 13, they have to do a lot more heading practice than they would have done before to develop the skill. And they put themselves at high risk that way because they're not used to all that body contact in the air, um, which in normal course of events, they would have practiced and become used to it and know I have to jump this way and not jump that way so that I don't end up falling down myself or getting hit. But when they suddenly have to develop all of that at the age of 13, 14, 15, they're concentrating that activity and may actually put themselves at an increased risk of injury. Now, when you look at rugby, which is the, the one that's been discussed at the moment, I'm not going to go into the high court case or anything, but just a general overview of rugby, uh, Mick. Where, where are you most likely to get concussion? Is it in the scrum? Is it in the line-out? Where, where, I know that the shots that go in and the power of these lads when they, when they go looking for the ball, ferocious uh, at the speed they're travelling at. So where are you most likely to get a concussion in rugby? So to put all of it into perspective, when, when people talk about size and power and all that, we're, we're talking about the international, the professional players. We're talking about a couple of hundred people in the country itself, as opposed to 
the clubs and the, and the kids and the youths playing rugby, which is a different a, a different scenario altogether. So, <clears throat> with respect to where you're most likely to get concussion, most likely to get it coming into the contact situations or in open play where there is uh, a lot of people running at speed into a small area. And you, if you're getting bumped by one person, you end up in the, the pathway of another person and you get a knock to the head or a knock to the upper body and it can get a concussion arising out of that. It doesn't tend to happen in the scrums. Now, if you go back, there's a couple of interesting clips on YouTube going back to the 70s to see how the scrums were set up back then. And pretty much from three or four yards away, they charged into each other and they realised at that point in time that was resulting in neck injuries. So the scrum itself is a much safer um, regulated environment now than it would have been 20, 30 years ago. Lineouts, they're a little more different than they would have been in the 60s or 70s. There's a lot more activity now. There's people being lifted up into the lineout. It's a very acrobatic display. It's almost like a game of chess to see who's going to get the ball. But you don't really see a lot of injuries in the lineouts. Again, it's, it's accidental if somebody gets dropped or somebody falls awkwardly. It's usually more leg injuries than, than head injuries. Yeah. But in open play and in the tackle situation is, is where the concussions tend to arise. But it can happen that even in a normal tackle, just because of the way the person hits the ground, they're not expecting to hit the ground, that they can get a concussion from hitting the ground. And that can happen in any sport, be it rugby, soccer, Gaelic, hurling, yeah. anything. And just before I move away from specific sports, the, the helmet and hurling, how, how vital has that been over the years? It has been absolutely fantastic for my job, absolutely. When I started in my job in the emergency department, <clears throat> there were two things that caused us a lot of work at weekends. One was non-laminated windscreens in cars and people not wearing safety belts. So I would spend my Saturday nights sewing up people's heads who had injuries off the windscreens or the windows in cars and also sewing up a lot of people who got cuts from hurling uh, around the face, the head, the ears. Um, so the hurling helmet has been fantastic and one of the, the, the best um, pieces of equipment to come in from a safety perspective yeah. that could have happened in the sport. If I was going to make one small suggestion on it now is when you put the helmets on, the bit that's still exposed is the ears. So we're actually seeing quite a bit of ear cuts now. If somebody was to design a helmet which had a little cage extension around the ears to prevent the ears from getting cut, that would be a, a great advance on it too. As we conclude our chat with you and wish you well in your new role as Dean of Sports Science in the Royal College of Surgeons, Ireland, uh, just by way of conclusion, do you think we've still a lot to learn about concussion, Mick? Oh, we're, we're really very early stages of learning about it, to be honest. And, I mean, it's it's been a learning curve for the last 20, 30 years. I think the, the research coming out of America about the um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is significant. But the sports they play are very different to the sports we play. I mean, they, when they're playing American football, you're pretty much head down, going into contact. You're, you're almost using your own body as a weapon, in a sense. Whereas in rugby, I, I'm a coach. I, I coach underage children. And um, we teach kids to, <clears throat> to keep their head up, their eyes up, to look where they're going. And the importance of learning a tackle technique early and perfecting the te technique can't be underestimated because kids who learn how to do that properly know how to protect themselves going into a tackle, know not to put their head in an unusual circumstance. And because they don't have a helmet or padding on their heads, they're more, more aware that if I do this wrong, I'm going to get a bang and it's going to hurt. So they're very careful about the technique. Interestingly, last two years ago, 
the Seattle Seahawks football team brought on two rugby coaches to help teach the American footballers how to tackle, but to tackle the wear and protect their, their head and neck. And they dramatically reduced the number of concussions they had in their team by using that technique as opposed to other teams where the players would have their head down and just charging at somebody's legs to try and knock them down. So the importance of technique cannot be underestimated. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.